I'm Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome back. So I have to say that a lot of you have read the article that I wrote. It's up on the uh, America Out Loud platform, uh, The Eighth Crusade. I'm very happy to see that a lot of people are reading it. I've gotten some good feedback from it. Uh, some people are confused. They, they don't really understand the history. Uh, but whatever it is, go take a look. It's on the platform and go read it, The Eighth Crusade. We covered that in depth in a recent episode. Today, I'm, I'm trying to understand how this can move forward. What can we do going forward? How are we going to deal with this? Now, recently I had asked that I would like to hear more from the Pope, from Pope Francis. Pope Francis, I'm a Catholic, and, you know, he's the Pope, and I'd like to hear from him what he says about this conflict. And I, I have to say that I'm a little disappointed in his conversation. Um, he has said that you should take a side in this battle between Israel and Hamas, and that should be the side of peace. And I, I don't disagree with that. There should be peace. We want peace. We don't want people getting hurt and killed. But the reality is the one side doesn't want peace. One side is going to keep attacking. One side is going to keep violating people's lives, destroying them. That's the Hamas side. The Israelis are fighting back to protect their people. And in the long run, it will protect the Palestinian people that are not part of Hamas. Because Hamas is just as brutal to them, uh, keeping all the supplies, stealing all the money that comes in to build terror networks, instead of helping the people to have better housing, better food, better clothing, better life, and turn that area into a paradise. It could certainly be that. Uh, if they would accept the fact that Israel is not going away, which is the scream. Now, have you seen there was a Hamas official on several different networks? They've, they've all kind of played it recently where he came out. He was as crystal clear as could be. He said the, the idea that Hamas has is not to make peace with Israel, but to destroy Israel and throw the Jews out of uh, the land. That's, that's their stated mission. It's not... We want to work out our differences. We want a two-state solution. It's to get rid of the Jews, get them out of there. Well, when one side is hard dug in with that, you, you, you can't discuss with them. You can't talk with them about what's there to talk about. Okay, we'll all commit suicide and we'll leave and give you our lands and our lives. Ridiculous. It's not going to happen. And the world recognizes Israel as an independent country. End of story. Now, the other thing the Pope said is there should be a two-state solution. And, you know, on its face, that sounds, it sounds reasonable, right? It is. And I don't mean for Pope Francis in general, right? The Palestinian people want and deserve to have a homeland, and so do the Jews. I mean, the Jews were given their homeland after the atrocities of World War II when, when the world governments realized that this was a horrific thing that happened and we had to try and do the right thing as humanity, and provide a homeland for the Jews. So they were provided the homeland in their traditional homeland. We went over this in another episode. The Jews have been in that land for thousands and thousands of years. Uh, the Palestinian people uh, were not. They just were not. Um, they didn't exist uh, 
until the creation of Islam, which was 600 years after Jesus Christ. We talked about that. So the Jews were there first. So if we want to look at who was where first, they were there and they've had a continuous um, occupation of that area uh, forever. Uh, other than a few times they were removed and thrown out and come back and forth, but it is what it is. So the two-state solution does seem to make sense, but you know what? It, it's going to require it's going to require that the the Palestinian side accept that they're not going to get all of Israel, that they're not going to be able to kill all the Jews, that they're not going to be able to throw them out of the, of the Holy Lands. They're going to have to live side by side in peace. That is the best thing for everybody. Unfortunately, one side does not believe that. So when the Pope says he thinks that, you know, the, the, uh, the accords that were signed in 1993 with the PLO being in charge, saying they recognize the state of Israel, Israel has a right to exist, and they'll work out a two-state solution. Well, they were overthrown by Hamas and thrown out. And those accords were never implemented. So we have to look at this and say, where would this homeland be? Well, they have Gaza, they have the West Bank, but all of the surrounding countries that seem to support the Palestinian people, Jordan, Syria, Lebanon, they don't want to give up any of their land to make this a solution. They don't want to do that. They want Israel to keep giving up land. And this is why you have, you have a, a force that's not going to stop. Uh, it's, it's not going to, to change. So when we look and we see... Uh, I had a conversation with a young person, someone I, I care about deeply, uh, talking about this, about this situation. And I really had no idea what his understanding of the situation was. And I said, uh, hey, you know, I wrote this article and it's, uh, it's taking off pretty well. And I tried to crystallize some points of view and, and look at things historically. And the, the response I got was, yeah, you know, well, when you look at it, it really is terrible that innocent people are dying on both sides. I said, okay, that's a pretty good point. It is. Innocent people are dying on both sides. Uh, and the other side, but you know what? You really have one terrorist organization up against another terrorist organization, and both of them should stop. And I was really surprised by this response. And I said, well, you know, the state of Israel is not a terrorist organization. Well, it, I, I don't know if they are or not, was the answer, which I was, again, surprised. But then the response after that was, well, you know, the Palestinian people, they're living in filth, they're living in, in dirt, they're living, you know, in a terrible way. And my question then was, well, why do you think that is? Do you know how many billions and billions of dollars have been given to the Palestinian people that offers of peace, two-state solutions, all kinds of things have been made to try and help them create a homeland? And... His answer was, well, I don't know that that's true or not. Uh, I just know that, you know, right now, innocent people on both sides are getting killed and it should stop. And I think this, and this is an intelligent person I was talking to, but because the person is younger, because they're in their mid-20s, they're not necessarily paying attention to things. They don't really have a historical perspective. And I don't know what they were taught in school. I know when these conversations came up, you know, world history, uh, you don't know what you're getting from, from different, different school districts teach different things, right? Different historical things. So I find that conversation was enlightening because, like I said, I care about this person. I find them to be very, very intelligent. 
but the fact that he really had no understanding of the situation. To say that, you know, Israel is a terrorist organization and the Palestinians are a terrorist organization, that, that's not correct. That's not true. The Israelis are not a terrorist organization. They are an independent country fighting to prevent people from killing their people. So I, I thought that was um, difficult. Uh, another thing that I saw as I go through the news, looking for my, my pages of outrages, you know how I do that. I'm trying to find um, exactly where this was. There was a, uh, an Al Jazeera reporter who came out and he was lambasting world officials saying that, especially the media, large media groups, you know, nobody will sit down with Hamas and hear their point of view. Nobody wants to interview them because they've been portrayed in the mainstream media as a terrorist organization. Um, and they are a terrorist organization. They've been designated as a terrorist organization by the United States government and governments around the world. They are a terrorist organization. They happen to also have political power. So this person was saying that they, they don't think it's right because, you know, uh, what they've been told is, well, you wouldn't sit down and talk with ISIS because ISIS is illegitimate. They're a terrorist organization, but Hamas is not. Hamas is a legitimate um, governmental representative of the people of, the, of, of Palestine, the Palestinians. Uh, and if you believe that what happened on October 7th was terrorism, then of course you're going to have a problem with sitting down to talk with them. So we have to defi define that, right? Isn't that what we do? Was the attack on innocent civilians in uh, Israel, was that an act of terrorism? Or was that a legitimate striking back as a freedom fighter? Well, they didn't go after military targets. They went after civilians and they brutalized them and killed them, did horrific things to them. Uh, and the world is not only not outraged by that, they want to forget it. They want to push it aside. And now all they want to talk about are the innocent people, which tragically, the, tragically losing their lives, who live in the Gaza Strip, are losing their lives because they didn't move out when they were told, they couldn't move out because Hamas wouldn't let them, or they chose not to leave. Well, you can't have it, uh, everybody equal. There's, there's no, the moral compass does not allow that. What the Israelis are doing, they're not attacking the Hamas, uh, they're not attacking the Palestinian people to, to, to create vengeance on them. They're trying to get rid of Hamas, a terror organization. Didn't we fight against Germany and didn't we fight against Imperial Japan and didn't we attack Italy because they were governmental entities who were bent on world war? We did. We absolutely did. And that's what the Israelis are doing now. Now they're doing everything they can to prevent civilian casualties as they should, best as you can, you know, because you're a good and decent place. But the reality is the, the government of Hamas, the leaders, have come out and said, we don't want to talk. We have no interest in, in, in two-state solution. We want to get rid of the Jews and we want to take over the land. When you have that position, there's nothing else anybody can do or say to change that. There's no one to sit down and talk to. What is there to talk about? All right, let's, let's switch gears for a minute. You know, understanding anything, no matter what it is, uh, whether you want a garden in your backyard, you got to understand about soil, you got to understand about plants, you got to understand about weather conditions, fertilizer, right? There's a lot of fundamentals into everything. 
in anything that we look at, one of the things I do when I teach, when I try to present a concept for learning, is to break things down to its basics, fundamental, what's its purpose, what are we trying to get out of this, and how can we make it something that can be absorbed and then used by the person learning it. Otherwise, it's not worth it. So when we look at this situation in the Middle East right now, and we have all these different points of view, we have a lot of confusion. We have a lot of confusion in our own country, don't we? We, we can't really argue about things here in America. We can't take a different point of view. We can't take uh, from the mainstream because then, of course, you are a hater, you are a racist, you are A, B, C, and D. We can't talk about facts. So we have to break things down to their basic element so that we can understand what it is we're talking about. What is really going on here? So what I've seen a lot of people do is they conflate or they bring together uh, various points of view about the Middle East and what's going on, and then they try to make a moral equivalency. The Palestinian people are upset and they feel that they're occupied. They were displaced from their lands by the Jewish population. That is, that is their argument in a nutshell. It's our land, you threw us out, and we're fighting to get it back. The Jews, on the other hand, say, no, this is our holy, holy land. It's been here, it's been in our possession forever. We were displaced, and we're back now. Uh, and we'll, we'll make an accommodation for you, but this is our land. So that's your, your, your basic argument. Now, people will say, oh, it's religious-based. It's, it's not so much religious-based. Uh, it is about groups and people. You have one group that feels they are correct in their belief, and you have a second group who also feels they are correct in their beliefs. The difference is which one of the two groups, Hamas or Israel, is willing to work things out. So ask that question first. Which one is willing to work some things out? Well, I think it's pretty clear. Hamas has said they're not willing to work anything out. They want the Jews out and they want the land. Uh, the Jewish population on the other side, Israel, has said we're willing to work things out. We're willing to come up to some solution that works for both of our people so we can live together peacefully. So the arguments that we're hearing people make, this, this moral equivalence, like the young person I talked about today, it's because they don't have any historical perspective on what's going on. They don't have enough knowledge. They have what, what we in the West deal with every day, soundbite culture. We have a soundbite. It sounds right. It sounds correct. And therefore, I'll repeat that soundbite instead of actually understanding. That's why I wrote the Eighth Crusade. That's why I wrote the article. And that's why I did the, the episode on it, to give some historical perspective so that we can then deal with the arguments that come up. It was, it was Palestine until the Jews showed up in 48 and threw them out. That's not true. We've, we've demonstrably proved that to be wrong. All right, so that leaves us with an understanding of the situation. I think if one group doesn't want to work it out and another does, you're going to have conflict that can't end. Now, here in the United States, let's take a look at that now. Let's look what's going on. I mean, it's, it's, it's shocking, I think, to most people. And again, if you remember, I talked about good trying to understand evil in a previous episode. Good can't really understand evil because we don't understand its motivations. 
We don't understand its rules. We don't understand that it doesn't have um, decency at its heart. It doesn't have equity at its heart. All these things that people say they care about. Evil doesn't have those things. Evil is self-centered and that's all it wants to hear about. So when we see these kids today, young people today, who are marching in the streets and they are pro-Hamas because Hamas is uh, oppressed by the Israelis and they're not really connecting to the atrocities of a terrorist organization like Hamas. You see lots of them say, it's been proven that those things never happened. Well, um, how do you argue with that? How do you argue that the atrocities of October 7th never happened when you've had journalists who've seen the actual videos, have seen the GoPro cameras worn by the Hamas killers, have spoken and interviewed the Hamas killers that survived, and they tell you what they did and why. But you still have part of the population here in America that says, no, it didn't happen, or it was a legitimate tool to fight. That's, that's hard to deal with as well, because you got people who are not thinking clearly. And I hate to say that, because, you know, who the hell am I to say who's thinking clearly or not? I, think, I know how I think, and I try and look for honesty, truth, um, and see if I can back it up with, with facts, right? And then I can make a determination. What we see here with these young people, let's, can we, again, let's go to that 30,000-foot view. Let's go high. Let's go high up. The younger population is anti-American now, right? They are anti-capitalist. They are anti-free um, speech. They are anti-Second um, Amendment. They have all of these, these traditional American things. They reject the holidays. They reject the founding fathers. They reject the um, origin of the country. And instead, they take the opposite point of view of almost anything. And this is one of the things I think, if you can, if you can look at any particular group uh, and say, if whatever the topic is, and you can figure out what position they're going to take before it comes up, that tells you a lot about the thinking of that group, right? So let's say free speech. Now, free speech in America is, is one of the founding principles of a free people. You have to be able to speak freely, even if what you say is ugly and terrible. People don't have to listen to it, but you have to have a right to say it. So people marching in the streets saying, you know, Hamas is good and what Hamas did was correct and Hamas is just fighting back. That's ugly. I don't like it, but they have a right to say it. You know, they have a right to say it. Uh, but free speech. Well, now we see young people and this is what we have to try and see how this is going to play out uh, over the long haul. That we see that young people reject the idea of unfettered free speech because when there's things said that they don't like, they, it's called weaponized speech. Words, words are weapons. Well, how many times have we seen them, their friends on the left, uh, fight about words are weapons when it comes to any of the topics that that are, are, are near and dear to their hearts that people want to discuss. All right, let, let's take one big, big one that's going on right now. The whole idea of biological males competing against biological females. Now, there is 
lots of different parts of that. There's the, the conceptual part that a person born as a biological male can decide that even though they have all the physical attributes of a male down to the molecular level, that they are actually a female. And if they decide that, then that is the truth. And anybody who says anything against that, who says, wait a minute, I don't know, Let, let's think about that. You are immediately a hater and you're silenced. There sh you should not be allowed to bring up that question because words are weapons. So therefore, they want to silence things they disagree with. Now, that, that is a legitimate thing for people to talk about as it works out in the function of things. If, if, a, if a person born biologically male wants to say they're a woman and dress like a woman, I could care less. That's your life. You do what you want to do. Same thing the other way around. Someone born biologically female decides, you know, in my head, I'm a male and therefore I'm going to be a male. That's fine. I don't care how you dress. I don't care what you do in life. It doesn't matter. What causes the problem is when it now interacts with other parts of society that don't necessarily agree with that. Like, let's look at Riley Gaines, a biological female and female in every way that we would consider female. And she's upset that biological males are swimming against, competitive swimming against other biological females. And we know that statistically and, and physically, biological males are stronger, have better breathing capacity, better heart capacity, all that. That can certainly win, and we see them winning in, in most of the competitions that they're there. So is that, a, is that hate speech that she brings this up? What makes it hate speech for our friends on the left is that you do not accept their idea. That's what makes it hate speech. Not that maybe there's different points of view. Maybe there's different facts. The fact is, if you disagree with it, then therefore you're being a hater. And really, that's the quickest way to try and shut somebody down in our world. Cancel them, shut them down because they have hate in their heart. Now, let's look at that. If someone has hate in their heart, which is what they want to say about some... And this is not just one topic. It's not just that. But in any of the topics in America, if you have hate in your heart you are immediately uh, at a loss of credibility. You have no credibility because you hate. You shouldn't be listened to, you should be silenced, and you should be removed. What are they doing in the streets now, these same people who, who set that criteria up of how it is? If you don't see Hamas as freedom fighters, if you see them as bloodthirsty terrorists, then uh, you're not seeing it correct. And then, therefore, you're, call, you're speaking hate, right? You're speaking Israeli hate. When they're talking about killing Jewish people because they're Jewish, get rid of them. Isn't that hate? Isn't that hate that they're, they're espousing? That they're promoting Hamas and what Hamas did? And by denying that Hamas did that, when the facts are there that they did, isn't that hate speech? Shouldn't they be silenced themselves? This is where this stuff doesn't start to make any sense. And this is where when we, when we step outside of the boundaries of facts and rational conversation, we can get caught up in these things, right? And our friends on the left are very, very good at doing that because they conflate issues, they conflate emotions, uh, they control the words, they control the narrative, uh, they control most of the mainstream media uh, that will repeat uh, their point of view over and over and over again. And therefore, we're left at a point where we can't discuss anything 
unless we agree with them. Now, is that freedom or is that tyrannical? Right? So there was a time uh, not too long ago, not too long ago, when the idea of being anti-Semitic was considered very negative. You didn't do it. We fought against it. Um, people who were anti-Semitic openly were uh, ostracized, were criticized. Uh, it was pointed out how horrible they were. And in a matter of a few short weeks, that table has been completely turned. Look at the blatant hate speech, anti-Semitism that is out there on the part of our friends on the left. What they're doing is exactly what they would condemn anybody doing or saying if it was any of the topics that they hold near and dear. See, so it doesn't make sense and it's hard for people to understand. So while I will not say that it is evil, as we have defined it in previous things, I will say it's, it's scatological. When you break it down to its, its logical constituents, it doesn't make sense. They're, they're, a lot of their beliefs and, and ideas are based on thoughts and feelings and ignoring of facts. Now, that doesn't mean we don't have room to figure out how their thoughts and feelings should fit into a society, in a modern society. There's lots of things we can do to be accepting of each other. There's lots of things we can do to learn from each other. But when we shut each other out, when there is no conversation, how do you move forward? Well, don't we see that exact parallel here between Hamas saying, absolutely not, we will not talk. The only thing we will do is remove the Jews and take over uh, Israel. And our friends on the left saying, there is no conversation damn the facts about any topic that they hold near and dear that other people disagree with. There is no talking about it. There only is our way or you're a hater. You should be shut down and we will protest against you. So it is, it is because of a lack of conversation because you know what? Sometimes facts hurt people's arguments and it relieves them down to feelings or beliefs or desires. This is what I want to be. So maybe it's not true in fact, but I want it to be. Okay, that's a, that's an honest reality. So have that conversation. And like I said, many people do not care what other people do, uh, as long as it doesn't affect someone else negatively. So you can say anything you want. You can identify as a uh, as an alien from Mars, and that's great if you think you're an alien from Mars. But you can't make other people believe that. You can't make them go along with it. You can say, I believe it. And out of courtesy, of course, you would tell them, okay, you're a Martian. Who cares what you say you are? If that makes you happy, do it. But the problem is when we get involved, uh, when we disregard facts completely, when we shut people down because they want to talk facts, uh, that creates a problem for the conversation. And that is where we find ourselves with many, many of the things going on in our country today. You know, there, there are lots of different opinions out there and a lot of different thoughts, and we should be able to talk about all of them and try and figure out how do we move ahead. But you see, again, isn't that people trying to solve a problem and move forward and try and find common ground? They are shut down and shut out by people who have nothing to do with finding common ground. It's either their way or nothing. All right, so let's think about that, and we'll be back in a minute with more Chasing Justice. Chasing Justice. 
World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Go to OutloudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. These days, every time you turn on the news, it seems like there's a new threat to your health. Maintaining a strong immune system has never been more critical. Advanced Nutrition Company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost to help you strengthen your immunity. Unlike other supplements that don't work, Immune Super Boost is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed nutrients proven to support immunity, like vitamin C, D3, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea. These physician-formulated gels come in a small gel pack Tear off the top and shoot it down, or mix it in water. Boost your immunity. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com, code OUTLOUD. Cofix RX Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. Changing the world one person at a time. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Okay, welcome back. You know, there, there's a lot of heated discussion going on, and it's, it's, it's hard to keep our cool and hard to keep our minds and, and not get ourselves all, all upset. So uh, we're, we're going to change directions a little bit. We're going to take a little bit of a break from the hate, from the war, from the killing, from, from the horrors of, that's going on uh, over in Israel. And we'll look at some domestic situations, right? Let, let's take a break from that stuff for a minute. So first, I want to tell you about Healthy Cell and the Healthy Cell products. They are on the network here. You can find them. They have Immune Boost, which I take. I like it. It has helped to keep me healthy. They have the Focus Factor, which is to help you think more clearly, help you gather your thoughts. You know, as you get older, you start to, you get forgetful. We all have done that, right? You walk into a room and go, okay, uh, why did I come into this room, right? So the Focus Factor helps you with that. Uh, and then uh, they have the Sleep, the REM Sleep product. So if you're having trouble sleeping, and a lot of people do, you know, give it a try. That's all I can tell you. I know people have used it and it's worked for them. So the healthy cell products are on the network here and I do like them and think they have value. So that's why I tell you about them. All right. So let's see. How about our new speaker? How about our new speaker from Louisiana? Johnson, right? 
a lot of controversy about him because he is traditional American. Uh, he is religious. He believes in God. Uh, he believes in country. He believes in our, uh, our, our rights, and he wants to uphold those things, and he wants to keep more to the traditional kind of, of way of going things. And, of course, he's immediately called out when he says, you know, the Bible informs him his worldview. So what does that mean? The Bible informs the worldview. Our, our country and, and the world, the Western world, has changed so much over the course of, of a couple of centuries where I, I told you I was in Italy recently and the magnificence of the churches that, were, that are there that were set up to celebrate something greater than ourselves, to celebrate God and God's gift to world. Now, if you believe in God and you have faith, that's a beautiful thing. If you don't, the idea to see what people actually did, what they spent their resources on, the magnificent uh, places that they built to these concepts ha has got to at least get you to consider they must have been a pretty strong belief in that. And, and why would they have it? Well, the, the modern answer is because, well, because they're stupid. Uh, they didn't understand anything. Uh, and they believed in this God because it was easier to believe in God than to believe that, you know, hey, you're kind of all alone here. Um, nothing, nothing matters because uh, there is nobody looking after you. Well, the wor a Bible-centered view doesn't mean that he would go to the Bible and open it up to a Deuteronomy 6.6 .6 and go, well, this is how we should vote on this because Deuteronomy told me or Maccabees or wh whatever books in the Bible that you want to you quote. What it means is he looks at the concepts and how the Bible talks about how human beings should get along, how we should interact with each other. What is justice for real? What is caring? What is love? What does it mean? Now, when we think about that, the Bible worldview, and, I, and I'm not a, a, a religious scholar. I'm not. I go to church and I'm trying. I'm on my journey. I'm trying to figure this out. You know, I listen to different, uh, different priests, I listen to different speakers, I listen to all different kind of people on religion, because you might pick up something from somebody that you didn't expect you'd pick up something from. You'd learn something from that person, or it gives you insight. When I look at the Bible uh, as, as, a, as a work, first of all, we have to figure the Bible was written pretty much 2,000 years ago, okay, give or take a, a century or two. And the fact that the stories are interwoven so beautifully, you know, from the Old Testament to the New Testament to the Gospels. Now, of course, if I was going to look at it critically, I would say the Old Testament stories that are in there were written by obviously brilliant people, right? doesn't matter who it was. They were brilliant people to come up with the lessons, you know, the idea of, you know, Genesis, where did, where did all this come from and how God came to the world and, and created, the, created the earth and the moon and the stars and the seas and all that. You'd have to look at that and say, it's a pretty intricate story. And then it goes into um, the interactions between people and the, the laws that people should follow and these, the different characters that sometimes the story of, that the character is, is explaining is to illustrate a point of view that the writers wanted to bring forth. But here's what I find amazing. If it was one brilliant person that wrote the entire thing, that just made it up out of whole cloth, you know, let me just make up this story of creation and how we're here and, and what God is and, and all these things, you would have to say, pretty amazing for something that goes back thousands of years. 
pretty good storytelling, pretty pretty good understanding of humanity. And we don't always think of it that way, do we? When you go back to the to BC, the uh, before Christ, and that's what it stands for. It's not before the Common Era. It's before Christ. Um, if you go back and look at those people, don't we think of them as you know? I, I don't know, less than sophisticated, not brilliant, you know, but then we realize we, we see the things that ancient peoples did and it's, it's like a duality, you know, so the idea of somebody sitting down and writing this story, I guess, would be possible, you know, if you take faith out of it, somebody just wanted to create this story, uh, whether they believed it or didn't believe it, it's a very intricate story to put together. Now, the story in the Old Testament talks about the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the future of God's kingdom and all that kind of stuff. And then we see the New Testament, which is fulfilled in Jesus Christ as the story goes. Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, Jesus is the chosen uh, savior of humanity to come forward. And again, that was, you know, 2000 years ago. And Jesus came forward and look at the fact that the church is still around today, that it's, it's one of the major religions of the world, uh, and it is still there. And the Bible stories from the Old Testament to the New, the New Testament shows a lot of fulfilling of prophecies and, and things that were said in the Old Testament. So I suppose if you wanted to be cynical, you could say, well, the writers of the, the New Testament simply looked back at what they predicted in the Old Testament and then, uh, you know, used Jesus as the vehicle to say, oh, it happened. There it is. It was fulfilled. I, you could see that. No, there's no question about it. That could be a, a reality. What I find uh, different than just that is the complexity with which it took to write those stories, to come up with the parables uh, that Jesus would use. Parables, be, you know, the stories, uh, you know, the wheat and the chaff and how he would explain. It's really not about wheat and chaff. It's about people, good and evil. Uh, very, very complex stories to put that all together in a form that connects so completely. All right, so when I look at that, I say, uh, for me, I am a person of faith. And why, why am I a person of faith? Uh, am, I, am I ignorant? Am I stupid? Uh, am I scared of the whole world? I, I, I ask myself these questions. And I have to tell you, I, I am not ignorant. I am not stupid. I am not prone to believe things uh, just because I'm told. I think uh, as much time as we've spent here uh, together, uh, you understand that I try and think through things. I try and understand a concept. What does it mean? What does it mean to me? Is there proof? Is there facts? Is there anything I can hang my heart head on and say, hey, here's, here's where I here's make, make a decision, right? I don't believe in some, uh, you know, old white guy in the sky who's doing things. I believe that there's a spirit of God that created this because, as I've said many, many, many times, I do not believe that something comes from nothing. I don't believe something comes from nothing. And as much as people will tout modern science uh, and they will say science is the answer and science doesn't show God and science shows this and that, science also does not show how something comes from nothing. We have a lot of theories we have a lot of ideas how if you take a bunch of chemicals and you mix them together and you heat them at certain temperatures and you start to have organic compounds develop, that at some point that could be sparked into life. Um, well, how? How do you spark chemicals into life that turns out to be you and me? 
uh, human beings, right? How, how do you do that? Um, which is why I don't believe that particular story, which is, I want to say, I've been clear about in the past, you know, the concept of something from nothing. Because if, if things could just develop out of nothing, if it was a matter of uh, just chemicals mixing together to a point that at some point it becomes a living organism, chemicals, rock, gas, whatever, and it turns into a living organism that can turn into eventually you and I. And then we can have sentient beings that can think, that can record uh, music, that can write poetry, that can do a radio show. All out of nothing. To me, that is more fantastic than thinking that there is a all-powerful God uh, or a, a being, a supreme being that created all of this that we just can't fathom. You know, this is where we have a lot of hubris. We can figure everything out. We've cracked the atom, created an unbelievable bomb. Um, but in the meantime, if life would just cook to the point that it would happen by itself, don't you think there would be life in many, many, many places where there are raw chemicals? You would think that there'd be much more life uh, observable in the universe. Now, there's a lot of talk now about ETs and, you know, space creatures and all this kind of stuff. But the reality is... If it was that easy to create life, uh, and I, I don't mean, you know, uh, you need certain conditions. Of course, we are talked about it. You need the right chemicals. You need the right temperatures. You need all that. But you would think in this endless expanse of the universe that we see out there that it would be much more common. Actually, that would be much more common, uh, the chance growing of life, uh, I think, than of the uh, directed life, which is what we have. But no matter how you slice it, uh, Dr. Fauci and his crowd, uh, they can't create life. They can't create anything in a test tube that comes to life. They don't have any examples of, of being able to create. They can't bring people back from the dead, right? You think somebody died of a massive heart attack, you could cut their heart out, put another one in, and then start them up again because you could create that. You could create life. You can't create life. And this is one of the things that I look at to guide my thought about it. See, while science is very powerful, and I believe in science, I think science is, is absolutely an amazing human pursuit as we try to understand the world around us. And we've learned many, many, many things. Uh, we've conquered many things because of science. You know, we understand uh, disease, not completely. When a new disease comes along, it, it can lock us for a loop. Uh, COVID-19 speaking, right? Um, we don't have all the answers, but we understand how life functions once it's here. We understand how the human being works. All our systems uh, come into being, and but we can't create life. And you have to say to yourself, if science, as great as it is, cannot say there's no God other than to say, well, it's not logical there's a God. It's, it, uh, it's just a bunch of chemicals. That is just as foolish as a pronunci as a pronunciation, couldn't get that out, as a pronunciation to say that definitively when the real answer is, I don't know. We don't even know how they built the pyramids. You've got all these scientists 
running around. These archaeologists, these geniuses that could figure out, you know, uh, by looking at some stones and some and some bones in a pot, uh, exactly how the people lived in a certain time in a place in the and they can't tell you how they moved thirty or forty ton blocks, four hundred feet in the air to create the pyramid. Now, if they can't figure that out, how could they figure out the complexity of life was a random act? You know, they can't even figure out uh, evolution. You know, did we, you know, are, we have a lot of the same, we have almost the same DNA as chimpanzees, right? We're only separated by, by a little bit in our DNA cycle from chimpanzees. Does that mean we're actually descended from the apes or does it kind of seem like that? Because that's what we have in front of us, right? We don't have all the, the material to say, well, here's where the jump took place. We know there was the Neanderthals, right? They were a kind of a human, they were a different kind of a creature that was here. And then we evolved. Where, where did we evolve from? I, I don't know. Uh, and science can't tell us definitively either. So therefore, I don't think you can say because science can't prove God, uh, then there is no God. I think the reality is science hasn't tried to prove God. Science has tried to prove the negative, that there is no God, right? So when I look at someone who whose worldview uh, is dictated by the Bible, that's by dictating the way you look at things to be kind to other people, to be caring about other people, to care for the, the gift of life that God gave us, to care for other people who need help, to care for, for uh, women and children and orphans and all of the good things that come to us from the Bible. That is what the Speaker of the House means when he is informed by the Bible. doesn't mean he's running around doing weird stuff. He's doing all the traditional things and beliefs that was actually commonplace until 40 or 50 years ago. These are the things that got us to where we are these uh, Christian values, Judeo-Christian values, right? And that's not to exclude other religions. Other religions that, that look at the world as being peaceful and, and loving and appreciative of the, the world we're given, uh, appreciative of each other and the fact that we're here, the stars in the universe, any religion that's going to respect that is going to provide a good world view. So I think the new speaker uh, comes to us from a place that we should all take a deep breath and say, you know what, because part of what's in the Bible is justice, is fairness, is helping others, is doing what's right. That's what's going to inform him. I think where, the, where people who, who want to belittle religious underpinning and faith is because it prevents them from doing things that they want to do. All right? Um, we, we're having this, this big push now in our nation for, for forever, since the 1970s, about abortion. And if it was in, it was uh, it was codified in law uh, that abortion was a right, and we had how many millions of babies aborted, and people didn't feel that was right, not because they want to tell a woman what to do, but because they want to protect the baby. See, because nobody speaks for the baby. Well, that constant push has been going on and on and on and on, and then we get some people with a worldview that is informed by faith that says every life is important. Every life has value. We should protect life. We should realize how special life is, right? And therefore protect that life. 
uh, and that was that was the battle went back and forth. And we finally had a Supreme Court that said, you know what, we're not deciding whether or not people should be able to terminate their pregnancies and kill their babies. We're not we're not deciding that. What we're saying is that the case Roe versus Wade was improperly evaluated and created. So therefore, this goes back to the states. That's all it says. If you're in a state where they want to be able to kill their baby, they can, they can do it. If you're in a state where they don't want to do that, then you have to move out of that state, right? But the reality is that's the, the, the when someone says that they are, um, their worldview is from the Bible, that's what they're talking about. The basics of goodness and decency. And when people want to do things other than that, they get upset and they, they don't want to hear about religion because religion constrains people. Right. Religion constrains human desire uh, to do bad things, because you know what? There's people out there that would want to rape and kill. They just want to rape and kill. Uh, but, you know, our society, which mimics good and bad, basically, you know, the Ten Commandments is the basis of most of our of our original law, is that, no, you can't just rape somebody. You can't just kill somebody because you want to. That's wrong. And, and we've taken that as, well, that's truth. That is wrong. And we shouldn't do it. No one should do it. So when I see a guy like him come along, I, I'm not concerned that he's going to go in and go, well, the Bible says uh, this and, and uh, turn our country upside down and take away people's rights. It's not what's going to happen. You know, no matter how you feel about gay marriage, it is now ensconced in the law. It has now been recognized that two adults that want to get married, whether they're same sex or opposite sex, they can get married. Now, that doesn't affect anybody but them. If they're in love and they want to get married, they get married. You know, nobody's going to come in and go, all right, that's it. That's it. Uh, gay marriage is over. None of you people are married anymore. Get out of here. You know, nobody's going to do that. Nobody's going to go hunting them down. That's absurd thinking. Uh, and nobody's going to do that. Some of these things we've evolved forward, whether everybody agrees with them or not, we have come to some kind of decisions that, hey, it, 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 that's somebody's decision. That's their decision. They can do what they want. Right. So this this whole look at as the, as the the uh, a view of the world, the biblical view of the world means looking at it from the point of love, caring, kindness, justice and the big one, the big one, truth. And what, what do we start out our little get together this week talking about? Sometimes the truth gets in the way of people's feelings and desires and they don't want to hear it and they try to make their feelings and desires, truth. And that's fine. If that's the world that they want to live in, I, like I said, who cares? That's the world they want to live in. But you can't demand everybody else jump in on board with your determination of what truth is because of your desires and your feelings. You have to accept not everyone's going to accept things, right? I have to accept that not everyone accepts being faithful. You know, I mean, in faith, like in church, seeing, seeing that there's God at the center. I have to accept that that there's atheists out there that think there's absolutely nothing and I'm not trying to convince them. Uh, if they want to have a conversation about it, I can have a conversation. I can explain to them where I've seen the hand of God in my life for no, with no other explanation of what it could have been. Uh, you know, fate, okay, could have been this, could have been that, but I, I didn't feel that or see it. And when I say feel it, I don't mean like, I just feel it's, it is... I have felt it in my soul. It has spoken to me and said, this was an act of God. Uh, and you have to channel that through your system and, and think about it. And does it make you feel 
that that is correct, or some people would get the same experience and say, no, I think it's nothing, and that's okay too. The thing is, what I'm trying to get to here is that when I see um, somebody like the new speaker come along, you know, it doesn't scare me. You know, he's not, he's not going to bring up things. The, the world is, is a modern world now. There's a lot of things that maybe we never would have went for 50 years ago or 100 years ago that now we are more open in our thinking, right? Live and let live kind of a thing. No one's going to go back and, and drag anything away. The only people who want to drag anything away from anybody are our friends on the left. They want to take away your free speech rights. They want to control your speech. They want to punish your speech. Not only that, they want to punish your thoughts. Because you're thinking a certain thing, they're going to come after you. All right? So I wanted to tie this up. And I don't want to get back to the whole thing in Israel. I just want to get back to talking about, you know, I had already said that hate speech, as defined by some people, is saying anything that disagrees with their belief about the world uh, and how they see it. And if you say anything about it, it's hate speech because you're not believing them or you're belittling them or whatever it is. But there's no two-way street to that. There's no hate speech when they say something about my faith or your faith or faith in general. There's nothing, um, there's nothing about their speech that's hate speech when they say things against traditional America or against our holidays or against other beliefs. Nobody's, nobody's running around going, well, that's hate speech because you're saying what we disagree with. And this is part of, of the symptoms that have brought us to where we are today. Not only today in our United States, but in the world. As the world is on the verge of a realignment. And that is, that is what I had seen it as, uh, and it's what I had put in my recent article, is that it's it's a realignment that seems to be coming. And it's not the forces of good and the forces of good trying to change us. Uh, it's, some of these forces out there are negative. You know, Taking away free speech is the first step to creating a tyranny. Now, the people who want to take away free speech and make things hate speech, they don't see it as a step towards tyranny. They see it as a step towards justice. That's their belief. But a, a clear-headed look at where does that lead when you take away free speech? At, at any society in the world, when you take away free speech, when government dictates what is proper speech? It's not like we don't know how this comes out. It comes out the same way every single time. Well, they control your speech. Then they want to control your thoughts. Then they want to control where you go. That is all negative. That's not positive. So that's a danger. They want to take away other rights, right? Now, what rights, what rights are people on the right and conservatives trying to take away? Well, people immediately will point to abortion, trying to take away a woman's right to choose. That's the big argument. And no one has done that. No one has done that. They have simply taken it away as a federal rule and made it a local state rule so that the community can have a standard. This is how we want to do things in our community. Right? Don't they say every vote? Every vote matters. If we want to do something, we vote for it. We get it. Well, if your community wants abortion, you'll get it. If your community doesn't want abortion, you won't get it. And that's, uh, that's not taking away someone's rights. So nobody, nobody on the conservative side is marching around saying, let's take away the free speech rights of this group. And let's take away the free speech rights of that group. 
Nobody's doing that. But our friends on the left are. They're trying to take away conservative free speech. Uh, nobody's running around trying to take away holidays that they like. Right? Nobody's trying to do that. Everybody says, okay, well, it's a holiday. You know, it's a, we're going to celebrate the human experience. Now, it may not be my experience. It may not be your experience. But if there's something that we celebrate that is someone's experience, then the, the more holidays, the better. That's what I say. You know, the big controversy when they had Martin Luther King Day, people were so opposed to that. And I said, you know what? That should be a holiday. First of all, I, I think Martin Luther King was an amazing human being, and he dragged our country forward and helped enlighten us uh, to some of the horrors that we had of the past. And I saw that as a holiday. Now, Martin Luther King means something to me because I understood what he stood for in the bigger picture, right? And how he made my country better by what he did and the sacrifice of his life. Right? So I see him as, as an American hero. In the pantheon of American heroes, I see Martin Luther King right there. Other people, people in our Afro-American community, they might see him as a positive person for, for different reasons, reasons that were not my experience. So if that's something that's important to them, let's have the holiday. I'm not opposed to the holiday. I think it's a great idea. Celebrate good things in our nation and coming forward and having someone like Dr. King, who called us to our better angels, tried to bring us together, I think is a very good thing. So that's how I look at the world, right? That's how I look at the world. It doesn't have to be world according to Joe. But people on the right are not trying to take away your rights. People on the left are. They want to take away your right to protect yourself, right? They want to take away weapons so you can't protect yourself. These are all things that have been done over and over and over again by tyrannical governments. First thing they do is take away your guns so you can't fight back. They shut down your speech. Then they control what you can do. Then they take away your economy. And everyone has the same nothing burger. Right? So this was this was an interesting little get-together for us today. It's different um, than what we normally do, I'll admit. You know, my last couple of episodes, I have been really wound up with things in Israel. And I have a lot more to say about it as time goes by. But I wanted to talk about some different things today. And I hope I got you thinking a little bit in a, in a, in a bigger way. Because a lot of you, I'm sure, are a lot smarter than I am. You know, these are just things that come to me. And I like to, I like to consider things, think about things. I like to try and understand my world as best as I can so I can get along. So I can function in this world uh, as a person who brings things to a positive instead of to a negative. And I hope you are too. So I want to thank you for spending this time with me today. And remember, until we meet again, be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem.